Hi everyone, I'm Jessica. And I'm Maya. And this is the Designer's Toolkit, a podcast for new designers. Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions, you can submit them through our Instagram at the Designer's Toolkit. And while you're there, you can follow us for any episode sneak peeks, extra content, and updates. And if you like this podcast, you can feel free to subscribe to listen to our episodes as soon as we drop them and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. So... Today, we are going to talk about how you can work with others outside of the design discipline. And UX design is very unique in that it provides an amazing impact for teams that know the value of it, but it's pretty irrelevant to teams that don't understand it. And you'll find that many uh, teams and people that you're working with don't know what UX provides to their organization, except for the fact that it's really important or like UX is something that they should focus on and that really doesn't paint the full picture and your worth as a growing UX designer is going to come down to how you stand up for UX design and how you can help the business grow and having that success in your design career will require you to brand yourself as a valuable asset to your team your organization and the company that you're working with and that's what Jessica and I want to talk to you about today it's how you can advocate the importance of UX design and just like jumping right into it uh you might be wondering like how you can communicate UX to your partner teams when they don't know much about what it is or like they haven't worked with UX designers before, which is a really common scenario. And it really is good to first shift your mindset and shift the mindset of delivering designs to them to a mindset of educating them about UX design is. And you have to do more than just being like, okay, uh, I need to do this design and I'll just like get it back to you. And this is really hard to do and ironic because I actually promised myself I would never be a teacher because my mom's a teacher and I didn't uh, anticipate that I'd be educating others as a significant portion of my job, but it's so important. (laughs) And, you know, when your teammates don't understand, you know, you really have to jump into that educator role, as I said, uh, first and become a designer second. And this can seem counterintuitive in tech uh, where Jessica and I both work in because there's so much emphasis on delivering your final product. But however, if you continue to deliver UX work without your stakeholders, understanding the value of the work you've done and everything you put into it, then you're not really going to win them over. You've just kind of just done what they said they needed you to do. And then you're just like a checkpoint on their list. And they're just going to come back to you and keep coming back to you for the design work without recognizing the value of what you've done. And this really reminds me of something that Lena, who is a, the design manager on our team, uh, she said, like, when I first started my role, uh, she's like, UX isn't a service. That was really valuable feedback to me because I had always like thought of me just being a designer, just doing whatever the PMs or the engineers or like whatever one else wanted mm-hmm. me to do. But it's that's not what design is. And you can't change the culture that you're in if you only make small improvements to the experience and just give them the designs without showing them the impact of all the work that you did. Yeah, I was talking to my friend Lauren yesterday and she was saying that She's worked at multiple companies as a UX designer and her um, husband is also kind of like in tech. And she was saying that her experience at like company A is so different than her experience at company B in terms of like who she partners with. So like Mm -hmm. at some companies like PMs really understand the value of design and like you don't have to spend a lot of your time just kind of like talking about why you made a design decision (laughs) yeah exactly like you won't have to spend as much of your time educating 
in a way of like catching them up to speed of like why you made a decision. Rather, you guys can like move forward together versus like at um, her current company, she feels like she really has to educate her team a lot. And a lot of times like they don't pick up the lessons that she's putting down, I guess, like she feels like she's fighting an uphill battle and it's causing her to be like, well, I don't know if necessarily like I'm the person to lead this team through that, but to be a successful designer on her team, you have to be an educator. So it really depends on like where you've landed. Yeah. Cause that, that reminds me of like my first job out of college where I worked at a small startup um, and everyone in the room had more experience than I did. They were all uh, men. <laughs> I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Kind of think it did, but maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, Probably. I don't know. <laughs> but like half of them didn't have any experience previously working with design and half of them had worked with design before, but they were the first ones to kind of like speak over me in meetings because they were like, Oh, whatever. Like I've worked with design before and and Mm -hmm. they just like churned out designs for me. So it's not only like you're educating them to make things um, easier for you and as, and like better for the product, but also for like future designers that that person is going to have to work with. Like we, have I think a little bit of a responsibility to the the entire industry to help shape our partners since UX is kind of a new field especially within tech it is the one that I feel is uh, changing the fastest or growing the fastest Um, I mean of course I would say that because I'm in it but I think like you set yourself up with other partners so that they understand the value of UX. So any other designers that they work with in the industry as a whole is like elevated in terms of how it's valued in the tech industry. Um, So I think it, it really can have kind of like a domino effect. And then on the other side of that, I like think it's important to recognize that, um, you know, there are a lot of things you, uh, should not be afraid to do as well. Like on the flip side of not only are you an educator, you're also educating yourself about those other disciplines so that you can like empathize with their problems, statements and like their needs and what they prioritize in a project. So like, don't be afraid to ask questions to like your PMs or your devs or other disciplines. If you aren't sure, like what their requirements are, what their priorities are, um, or even what they plan to do day to day to like contribute to this project. So I think a big part of being a successful designer is like understanding how to leverage the resources, aka like the people you have around you um, so that you know when to reach out to a PM or when to reach out to a content designer or accessibility, like knowing how to leverage those resources outside of just like your specific role is like essential. And then like, on the other side of that as well it's like don't be afraid to ask questions about the actual project that you're doing so um, I talked to my friend like Clark who is an art director based in Georgia and she shared this example um, and she works in advertising but I think this example kind of like applies for a lot of design disciplines across the board she was saying that in her like early career projects the requirements were just kind of like 
thrown over the fence to her and she had no background information or details and she was just expected to make something pretty. And this is kind of minimizing to the work that we do as designers, because if you gave like another job function, for example, um, like a project with no details or direction was just like, just turn something around, it wouldn't be respectful to their discipline either. And so you have to kind of not be afraid to ask questions like, who is my audience for this? Um, What are we hoping to achieve with the final product? What's the best medium for that? Like a lot of questions that will help you create the best product that maybe they don't think you need to know. um, But you know that you need to know, like, there's this phrase, like, you don't know what you don't know. And I think that really rings true for a lot of disciplines outside of design, looking into what design does. Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned earlier, leveraging the resources around you or like knowing when to reach out to a content designer or a researcher and vice Mm -hmm. versa, because a lot of UX is working with different people and being able Mm -hmm. to manage those resources. And a lot of those resources will know what UX is, but there will be times when they just have perspectives that are different from yours and you need to know how to navigate those differences. And uh, that's (laughs) a really big skill you need to know how to, uh, that's really essential to being successful. It's just like having the ability to show how you are valuable to them and Mm -hmm. your approach will probably be different depending on who you're working with. So like whether it be with other designers or uh, senior designers or PMs, engineers, researchers or data scientists. And I mentioned this in one of earlier episodes, but you kind of have to code switch a bit. So just explain to them why UX is important in a way that they will understand. So with like senior designers and PMs, I tend to focus more on how my designs and my work will impact the business as well as the return on investment of what good design is and what I have Mm -hmm. designed. And then with engineers, I'll talk more about technical feasibility. And I have more experience with that because I actually was an engineer. So I can You'll be like, oh, this actually won't take that uh, long for you to design because it's already in this toolkit or library that we have and you can just pull right from (laughs) it. It's just a really small change. And then if they say Mm -hmm. no, then I'll HTML or CSS it myself and be like, oh, well, actually, if I can do it here, like this shit's done. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, those are really approach situations Mm -hmm. like that. And yeah, definitely uh, just even a little tangent, like if you want to work with engineers, it's really good to get some HTML, CSS, or even just like front-end engineering skills as a UX designer to Mm -hmm. um, help you understand their language a bit, uh, as well as like see what things are technically feasible, because if you can do it yourself, then the engineers also should be able to do it. Yeah, I've definitely had PMs who, you know, like I didn't necessarily see eye to eye with a lot of the times, like they were really concerned about their timeline more so than they were about what was best for the product. And so sometimes like design would take longer than they were expecting because like Mm -hmm. we have to go through all these different processes that we feel are necessary that will drive like the drive business impact at the end of the day. And so a lot of times I was saying like, okay, well, if we can save time here, that's saving support costs down the line. And so like, you'll see um, like decreased costs, like you have to say it in, in phrases of things that you know, that they track themselves in the product of like how you feel your design will impact that. But I, I remember I had this PM 
on like one of my previous teams where he would just like straight up lie to me about uh, like the technical feasibility of things. Um, And like, I ended up starting to meet with my devs like one-on-one just every week where I would like show them designs and be like, Oh, that's super easy. Like, yeah, we should do that. Oh, that's a cool idea. After my PM had already like nixed an idea. Like I remember I was just like going through my Figma file once and a dev stopped me and he was like oh wait wait what is that that's really cool like why aren't we doing that and I was like well I was told this would take six weeks and he was like that's gonna take me six minutes and I was like okay so yeah going back to what Maya was saying like if you have a little bit more kind of like base knowledge about html css that can really help you in cases like this I think the principle there is like the more you understand about the disciplines of other people that you're working with, the more you might be able to like reach across the aisle and like collaborate with them or know when to compromise and like how to choose your battle. And then, yeah, I think that what goes along with this of like trying to shift the perspective of people who are in other disciplines who maybe prioritize different things. Like I remember when I joined my previous team, they kicked off every single session to try and tackle like work items or any problems that we had with like, what does company A do about this particular problem? They were always referencing this one company that's like um, an industry giant in the industry that we were in. Um, And that was the bar that they worked towards or they decided they were done when they got to that point of like, okay, this is what company A does. Okay, as long as we get up to there, we're done. Um, Instead of relying on like best practice or like proactive research to figure out like what it might be the best for our customers. So in my time with the team, like this is kind of like a point of education where I try to point out things that uh, maybe company does that isn't best practice or might not cater to our specific target audience um, since we don't have the exact same customer base as them. And so I would pivot like kick off of every meeting to ask like what does previous research tell us about them or like what can we do here that will build a stronger relationship with our customers and I knew that my team cared about like doing what was right for our customers keep them coming back by like building trust with them so ultimately like I knew that we shared those values between our disciplines even though our actual disciplines and practice were very different so yeah it was I think something that in taking away my experience from my time with that team, that's the thing I'm the most proud of. It's not like any of the wireframes that I was able to turn around. It was that I was able to like kind of pivot um, how they think about problems to not just like getting up to some arbitrary bar that another company does, but rather like we can be industry leaders in our own way and build trust with our own customers. Yeah. So when you're working with some of these teams, there will also be situations where, Teams are just confused and the people that you're working with just don't know what UX design is or just what the difference between UX design and graphic design is or what UX design and visual designer is or what a content designer does. And they're just straight up confused. And I've had teams who will be like, oh, can you make a logo for me? (laughs) Or like, can you do this branding for this thing? that you don't even own or I remember another team asked me to convert a PNG to a JPEG and I, <laughs> that, that doesn't really fall under my area of yeah. expertise and um, you know I do know how to do those mm-hmm. things but it, that's not the main um, 
that's not what I focus on as a UX designer. And I, you know, I help these teams out, but I think afterwards I, you know, also use this as an opportunity mm-hmm. to educate and explain to, uh, to them that, you know, well, next time you can actually refer to this entire visual design team that does this for their <laughs> job than using yeah. me and just kind of explaining what those things are so that they can understand the difference between mm-hmm. the disciplines. And it can be very hard for non-designers to understand the differences between types of design. So, you know, maybe in the future, Jessica, we can refer them to our podcast episode, <laughs> our first one, where we refer, <laughs> explain to them and break down every single discipline yep. design. There's actually like, instead of this, you know, why don't you leverage this resource here that I've taken the time to record? And then maybe you'll understand why <laughs> it doesn't make sense for Honestly, me. is my is that our origin story? Is that why we made this podcast? <laughs> maybe. Oh yeah, I've edited so many logos in the first like three years of my career it's honestly embarrassing but it is just a part of having design in your title is like people a lot of times don't understand like what a ux designer is compared like they just don't know what the boundaries are so they're like okay whatever so it's up to you to like tell them what the difference is so that next time they'll be like, oh, you know what? I know exactly who to go to and it's not Jessica, you know? So yeah, I feel you on that, Maya. Yes, it is not Jessica. (laughs) It's not Maya either. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I think it, it's so important to set boundaries to like reiterate that point. It can be like really challenging to set those boundaries, especially if you're like new to a team and you want to like impress people or you want to show yourself as a team player. It's still hard for me to like set boundaries today. But again, like I think this goes to like a, a larger theme of if you keep bending over backwards for people to try to impress them or, you know, whatever it may be, or allow them to come to you like unprepared or with um, arbitrary timelines, like with only their timelines that don't consider the full design process that you feel is necessary or with feedback that isn't necessarily constructive, but it's, it's very subjective, then, you know, they're going to continue doing that because they don't understand that it is causing like difficulty for you, you know, or it's not fitting to what you do as a UX designer. And so the work that we do is a specialty. And so we need to have like a certain amount of time to like do the design process that we feel is necessary for a particular project. And so not setting those boundaries not only can cause burnout, but it just sets the precedent that like design can be kind of like walked all over. And I've definitely been in situations like that early on in my career where I just said yes to everything and ended up pulling like these all-nighters and doing things like really quickly, like promising to hit their timelines without any pushback so that next time they would be like, okay, well, you could do this in two days last time. So this time, maybe you can do it in one day, you know, like it is just like a fast track to burning out. It's not respecting your own time. So setting those boundaries uh, is really what you need to build a sustainable career in UX and um, a sustainable relationship with people that you're working with. Yeah, and that can be hard to do because sometimes the culture of that Mm -hmm. team and the organization will work against you. (laughs) There are times when stakeholders really appreciate those design deliverables that you've done in a day, but they don't understand all that goes into design because they're so used to working the way they've worked in the past where a designer will just give them everything they need 
in 30 minutes <laughs> or just whatever like obnoxious uh, timeline that they've given you that doesn't make any sense. And one way that I've combated this is by inviting a senior designer or an engineer from another team that also knows the value of design to uh, meetings uh, with these other stakeholders that can kind of back mm-hmm. me up and then ex- also educate them on like the value of design, like why we have a process. So it's not just me repeatedly mm-hmm. saying the same thing because if it's me as well as a senior designer versus a senior content designer, like that will have a lot more weight versus just one junior mm-hmm designer and uh, that's not to say that you don't have a voice as a junior designer it's just that you need allies to change and like make a cultural shift and um, a lot of times like your stakeholders think that UX design is just kind of magically putting things together (laughs) you know you just like whip your wand and it's done but it really isn't that and I know that you Jessica have like a lot of feelings about this so like I'm gonna let you for and talk about how (laughs) this is impacting you I mean definitely like I, I think it's such a backhanded compliment when people say like design magic, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, we're just gonna like we have this problem. And um, I've I've been in meetings where I'm just like put on the spot and people are like, Jessica's gonna work her design magic and we'll meet back on Thursday. And you know, she's gonna have the perfect solution for us. And I think that while it's like nice to see that they're impressed with like the quote unquote magic that I pulled last time, or, you know, the, the design products that I'm able to turn around, like they're not acknowledging the strategy or the technical skill or the actual like process that we, you know, put into the work that we turn around. And so while it can feel like really rewarding to hear like people think that you're super creative or that you've created something that they couldn't do. It comes at the expense of them thinking that you can just kind of like throw away work that you've done. It, it really devalues the amount of like time and energy and like very real, I guess, like technical skills that you put forth into your designs. And so I think that also reinforces the mental model for them that you are someone who can just like turn around tasks and not contribute to like real product strategy. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's a huge like detrimental pattern that designers can fall into but you can also prevent it by like proactively communicating you know what goes into design so um honestly like I don't think my teams ever stop doing this thing where they like expect things to be done in two days or they have their timelines that they bring to me and they're like, okay, I need this done by, you know, tomorrow. (laughs) And they've known about it for weeks and weeks, or maybe they found out about it yesterday, but either way, it's like the more I advocate for, you know, okay, no, I think like I'm going to need to take this into accessibility review, or I'm going to need to take this into design review. I need to do some research into what components exist out there. Like the more I explain to them what actual steps I'm taking and like why that's going to take a a certain amount of time. Sometimes I even have to go into like, okay, this is why exactly it's going to help us um, like create a better product. They're less and less like resistant to it um, every time that I bring it up. And so they're more willing to make it a collaboration. So I don't necessarily see a future in which I'll ever have to just like stop communicating like 
what my timelines are or like what design process looks like um, to other people that I work with. But I can like present it in a way that they know that they'll need to expect, like give design flexibility to truly like pursue what we feel like is best practice. And so it's really making room for yourself to do what's best for the product as well as like give yourself the time to um, not burnout and just through conversations and like starting to be a stronger communicator and like standing my ground with what I felt was necessary like I have pulled probably like dramatically fewer all-nighters um probably like uh went from like 10 a year to just like maybe one I don't know but it's just like at the expense of your mental or physical health it's just not worth it if all you have to do to fix that is like be a strong communicator and like stand your ground in meetings. So yeah, I discovered that collaboration is something that um, you kind of have to stand strong in. It's not just like, yeah, I love that. I love that story. And I love how you stood your ground because I feel like I've been doing that a lot more mm-hmm. recently. I've been saying, no, <laughs> I love it. And I don't feel bad yeah, about it. Should. I don't know. It feels great mm-hmm. to say no. Uh, I remember this was maybe last week and the stakeholder was like, oh, well, we can just meet on this tomorrow. And I said no because tomorrow is a holiday <laughs> and no. we don't have meetings on Friday. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, no, we can't meet tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, just, oh. Well, that was a funny yeah. way uh, to say no. But I think – in like situations like yours where like it doesn't make sense for you to deliver something in yeah. a day. Um, that is a really great story to share. And just like it's also a really great opportunity to educate the PMs and your other stakeholders on why like there's a process and why we need a timeline uh, to deliver the designs that they need. And you know, when I first started out, uh, I was very similar to you where I probably would have shifted my working style to exactly what my stakeholder yeah. wanted. But I like know that like that's not the best approach because you're compromising the quality Mm -hmm. of your work for what the stakeholders want and that's not necessarily going to align with what the customers Mm -hmm. need and ideally you should meet somewhere in the middle like you have to meet their needs and they have to meet yours and they need to understand that you may need to go through an iteration or two before showing them the final product and get feedback on their thoughts on what you've done versus delivering something that you just kind of threw together in like (laughs) four hours and just like being like, oh, okay, I guess that'll work. And that's not a good way to deliver design Mm -hmm. work uh, because that's not your best work and you want to always deliver your best work. And it is a collaborative process. And I know a lot of stakeholders just have this misconception that it's something you just Mm -hmm. do and go. Yeah. It's also like you want to be doing your best work because one, like on a team like that, you will probably lead to burnout if you're just constantly being mm-hmm. like disrespected and, ter- and like constantly having to like turn things around and, and pull things out of your ass. And like, especially on a holiday. <laughs> 100%. Oh my God. Like, so many people are like, hey, are you free to talk? And it's like actually July 4th. And I'm like, no, I'm not free to talk. What do you mean? Like, I'm celebrating America. (laughs) The entire country is off. Like, no, I'm not free. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but I feel like not only does that lead to burnout, but that burnout is going to lead you to look for other jobs. And if you just have a collection of like half-assed work, there's not things of quality to 
put in your portfolio. So like you have to play the long game for yourself because obviously like your PMs are not thinking about your portfolio when they give you work items, but like you have to think about the long game of like, okay, I want to take the due process to like, while I'm here, like creating work, I want to be creating quality work so that, you know, I can set up opportunities for myself in the future. If this like turns out to be the team where my education tactics are not working in a way that we are equal contributors to strategy and to like timelines and how work items are prioritized and things like that, then you want to find a place where you can have that and like you feel that you are um, respected as an equal in terms of like all the different stakeholders who work on a particular product. And so if you don't have strong examples for your portfolio because you were like scrambling and, and always doing things last minute and not like putting the due process into it, then that only hurts you further in the future. So um, it not only causes the burnout, but it at the end of that burnout, like you're kind of stuck and you don't have a a way out. I definitely have experienced this with my first job out of college where like, because I wasn't able to say no to anything, like when it came time for me to start looking for jobs, like I was even more stressed because I had no idea what to put in my portfolio because I wasn't proud of the work that I had been doing with this team. And I also didn't want to continue doing it. So I was just kind of like stuck in a loop of, well, I have no work to put in my portfolio, but I also am miserable where I am. So, you know, in the that moment, I had to get really creative and like work, ex- like, like stop work my 40 hour work week and then start working on my portfolio and like doing side projects and things like that. Um, so long story short, you know, it only helps you to be a strong communicator and by strong, I mean like stand your ground and just, um, open up an honest conversation with them about like the time that you need. Honestly, sometimes I will overestimate the time I need for a project just because I know I have like other work items that I need to be looping in. So if I feel like something is going to take a week, I'll say it's going to take two weeks because I know that I'll have three other work items that might also take a week. So you just kind of have to balance everything out yourself, but um, be sure to communicate that with the people you're working with. Yeah, I definitely do that too. I always overestimate. And this is feedback that I got when I was an engineer. Mm -hmm. When I knew that something would take me like a day, I would still say a week. Or if I knew it would take me a week, I would say two weeks or three weeks. Uh, Because also you're probably going to get some last minute things that people expect you to turn Mm -hmm. around or you have to turn around and can't push back on because of the priority of them Mm -hmm. in addition to things you're already working on. So definitely always overestimate your time. Because that will help you and combat that burnout. And I really liked what you said about if you don't like work on things that are valuable and you continue to just like turn things around in a day and you're not happy about that work, then you'll end up stuck in the current job that you're in. Because if you try to get go to another job, then all of the work you're contributing in this job that you don't really like won't really be able to be showcased well in your mm-hmm. portfolio. So you'll just be in this this rut and you don't want to end up in that you want to progress in your career yeah 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 yes your ability really to kind of recognize the value of user experience design is going to impact your success Mm -hmm. as a user experience designer and based on what you know about yourself and the people that you're going to be working with you can kind of make a plan to figure out like how you can make your voice Mm -hmm. heard and that is a lot 
easier said than done because incorporating UX into your team culture, the company culture, can feel like an uphill battle. Like um, Jessica mm-hmm. mentioned, her her friend Lauren, um, who was also a designer on our team, felt like it, it is an uphill battle. Just kind of communicating the the value and importance of UX is, but that is a part of the job that we signed mm-hmm. up for, and it it really will depend on the company and the team and it is a struggle sometimes <laughs> and Jessica and I are going to talk a little bit more about the struggles next week in our next episode yeah. uh, but if you are know what UX is and you're knowledgeable of the field you can know that it brings so much value to the mm-hmm. business and can make the business a lot of money it can make your customers really happy yeah. and you really are just making sure that the products that your customers are using are delightful and joyful and I remember my coworker said when I was an intern uh, at Starbucks uh, you know like my job as a designer is to bring that constant delight to customers and she was really ahead of her time because now delightful design is a hot topic in design (laughs) right now and there's like all of this like education surrounding how you can bring delight Mm -hmm. to users and you know in summary like Jessica and I have given you guys some tactics you can use to convert your UX stakeholders into UX advocates or UX fans. Uh, but it's all going to come down to you. Yeah. You know, like we aren't the end all be all and we can like help you get there, but you really may have to shift your strategy depending on your circumstances of like your team, your, your company and like all of the, the factors that are going to come into mm-hmm. play. Yeah. And I think that design, you know, at the end of the day, like it is a very specific set of skills that you bring to the table that other people on your teams just don't have. Like if I think about a PM or I think about a dev, like they don't have the design knowledge or the design skills that I bring to the table. And a lot of the times, like the products that we work on, the reason there are so many problems are because they've gone without a designer in the past. And so everything and it looks yes (laughs) and it it causes so many problems and like you know like a lot of the times even just like bringing a designer to the table to just like fix some of those like immediate easy fixes like jumps revenue like jumps up our customers are suddenly happy Mm -hmm. it's like the amount of impact you can bring, you can always frame it in a way of like design is causing positive change in not only like products, but on team culture, things like that. And so it is a very valuable skill set. And I think before I used to minimize it because it was so subjective to people outside of the field, like people outside looking in because they don't necessarily have a lot of like existing knowledge about what design is really like on a day-to-day basis like they make a lot of their own assumptions and you know those assumptions can cause them to come to you and think like okay because I have this assumption that like Jessica is a magical designer she'll be able to turn this around exactly in the time that I have right so it's very much a negotiation of like they're bringing to the table what they want and like if you just say yes to them you're giving them everything they want but you're probably sacrificing a lot of what is valuable to you you into your craft and so it should be a negotiation of like they come to you with everything they want you go back to them with everything you want and then you meet somewhere in the middle and I think like honing that skill of communication really builds you a seat at the table and it builds respect for UX and it shows that you are 
invested in the team because you care enough to like ask questions that establish yourself as someone who is like a stakeholder, someone who is working towards like showing that you are a good listener and that you can make thoughtful decisions and that you also care about business impact and not just like creating something pretty, even if it's like completely unreasonable to build, whatever. It's like when you ask them questions about like technical feasibility, then they suddenly understand like, oh, she does actually care about like how long this will take or how much work, extra work design might add to our existing workflow. I think when you are able to advocate for yourself, you are definitely setting yourself up for success in working with stakeholders outside the design discipline. That's our episode. I feel like we covered a lot, but yeah, like Maya said, we'll be sharing a lot of um, fun stories from our careers and careers of like some friends of ours who are also in tech. And I want to shout out a thank you to Clark Maudlin for sharing her thoughts with me. And we were just chatting about like this topic and she's like I mentioned, currently an art director um, based in Atlanta, Georgia. And then, of course, thank you to our producer, Cheng Hong Wong, and our branding expert, Lena Choi. And again, if you have any questions or comments based on what we talked about in this episode, you can reach out to us on Instagram at The Designer Toolkit. And while you're there, you can follow us for any episode sneak peeks, extra content, or updates. And if you liked this episode or like this podcast, you can feel free to subscribe to listen to any episodes as soon as we drop them and then leave a rating um, on whatever platform you're listening on. Yeah. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you.